This is Science Friday. I'm Flora Lichtman. And now it's time to check in on the state of science. This is KER WWNO, St. Louis Public Radio, Iowa Public Radio News. Local science stories of national significance. A few weeks ago on Science Friday, we talked about lithium mining in our most eastern state, Maine. Today, we're digging into controversy around another mining project 4,500 miles to the west. In interior Alaska, near the border with Yukon, Canada, a mining company has plans to dig a new open-pit gold mine. They're calling it Moncho, or Big Lake, in the language of the Tetlin tribal nation that resides there. Some residents are concerned about the mine's plan to use the public highway. Critics also say federal and state agencies failed to properly review the overall environmental impact. And the stakes are high, they say, because this project could set a precedent for other mines, an industry that's growing as the state looks beyond oil. Joining me to talk about this story is my guest, Lois Parshley, freelance journalist. She reported this story for Grist in collaboration with Sean McDermott for Alaska Public Media. Welcome to Science Friday, Lois. Thank you so much for having me. Let's talk about this mine. What is Mancho and what's the status of it? Yeah, maybe it would help to start by describing where it is. Uh, Alaska's interior is big, beautiful, and really wild. Right now, its roadsides are splashed with purple as fireweed blooms, and in a few weeks, birch trees will start turning golden. But of course, winter is a big part of the year. It's spruce and snow country. So this is where Kinross, Alaska, the majority owner and operator of a joint mining venture, have signed a lease from the native village of Tetlin. They plan to dig a gold mine called Mancho and then truck the rock on the public highway, roughly 250 miles, to where it will be processed at an existing mine called Fort Knox near Fairbanks. Why has this mine drawn attention? The trucking plan has raised some eyebrows. It calls for 60 round trips per day or a truck every 12 minutes, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They will follow a winding two-lane road, which has very few passing lanes or pullouts, and then drive through the heart of Fairbanks, one of Alaska's largest urban areas. It's not even just the mine itself, it's the transporting of the materials. Definitely. These trucks are a lot larger than your average semi-truck. They're 95 feet, or roughly the length of two humpback whales, and they'll weigh 80 tons. You talk to residents in Alaska about their concerns about Mancho. What are those concerns? What have people's reactions been? Yeah, I've spoken to a number of people who are very concerned, including residents like Barbara Schumann, who know personally how dangerous the road can be. Her husband's family were killed years ago when a commercial truck hit them head on. And Schumann is a retired lawyer. And when she didn't feel like the state was taking her questions about the project safety seriously, she helped form a community group called Advocates for Safe Alaska Highways. And they have been working to raise questions with the state about the potential safety risks. I don't know if you know that road. It's the only road people in Tetlin and Toke and all those little communities down the Richardson and and Alaska highways, that's the only connection they've got to hospitals and airports. Are there environmental concerns as well? Definitely. The risks that people are worried about go beyond traffic. The mine and its tailings have the potential to generate acid for thousands of years. 
Basically, when sulfide gets exposed to air, it oxidizes, and when it gets wet, it turns to sulfuric acid, which can be really damaging to the environment. And this could be a problem not only at Mancho, but also in what's known as fugitive dust, or the stuff that blows out of the trucks on the road, or gets kicked up while processing, stockpiling, or, or storing the tailings at Fort Knox. And there are also concerns about mercury, arsenic, and other heavy metals contaminating salmon streams and other waterways. What does Kinross, the mining company, say to those concerns? Kinross, Alaska, declined repeated interview requests and told other people not to speak to us. But on their website, they say the project will create more than 400 jobs. So some of the folks you interviewed for this story say that the environmental review of the mine was insufficient. What are they concerned about? Permitting for this project fell to different state and federal agencies, and no one really looked at the project's full scope. When Fort Knox was first developed in 1993, the company conducted an assessment that has provided an umbrella for Mancho and several other mines since. And no one really anticipated acid generation back then. The Army Corps of Engineers led the federal review for Mancho, and they told us that even though Mancho's geochemistry is quite different, they didn't consider the potential impact of bringing this different type of ore to Fort Knox. Is it unusual to sort of have missing pieces of the environmental review? Well, yes and no. Other federal agencies, like the Environmental Protection Agency and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, both criticized the Army Corps' decision to focus on five acres of wetland that didn't include the trucking corridor or where the processing will take place. Mancho is one of the only hard rock mines in Alaska that hasn't had an environmental impact statement. But the strategy of intentionally dividing projects up like this, so you can say each facet doesn't have a significant impact, is actually pretty common. It's called segmentation of permitting. And law professors at Lewis and Clark just published an analysis finding the Army Corps has a long history of this kind of narrow segmentation. They argue that violates the agency's responsibilities under the National Environmental Policy Act. The mine will be on Tetlin tribal land. What's the tribe's opinion of this mining project? Tetlin is in a unique position. It retained its subsurface rights, so it negotiated this deal directly with Kinross, Alaska. That's unusual in Alaska because under the 1971 Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act, for-profit regional corporations were created, and they typically now control tribal subsurface rights. I wasn't able to speak to Tetlin's tribal chief or its tribal council. They declined repeated interview requests. But I did speak to Stanley Taylor, the environmental coordinator, and he told me some residents were concerned about the risks, which is why the tribe supported trucking the ore to Fort Knox, outsourcing some of the potential hazards. Did you talk to people who are in favor of the project? Yeah. Some tribal members are excited about what the mining royalties could bring to Tetlin. Most people in Tetlin don't currently have running water. And some people in the nearby town of Toke are also excited about the economic benefits the mine can bring. It's a really small town, and one resident 
Bronk Jorgensen told me the mine will offer year-round employment, which is currently hard to find. And he also pointed out that our modern lifestyle requires a lot of minerals. And he argued that if we're going to consume electronics and all of the other things in our lives that require metals, the U.S. should produce them. What might this project mean for mining in the state generally or elsewhere in the state? If Kinross, Alaska is allowed to use public roads now, it will set a precedent for um, of other projects in the state. And that has potential health and safety risks. The trucks will cause millions of dollars in pavement damage every year just to start. And other big projects you may have heard of, like Ambler Road, are also planning on using Alaska's public highways to transport their ore, which compounds all of the risks. So just imagine driving along behind a tourist RV on a two-lane highway and having a 95-foot-long mining truck passing you. It's, it's going to really change what being on the roads feel like. What happens next with this project? Mancho really feels like it's just the beginning. There's been a surge of mining in Alaska recently. And to be clear here, gold itself is not a critical mineral. But Alaska does have large reserves of cobalt, copper, and other rare earth minerals essential to the green energy transition. So questions about the role mining will play in Alaska's economy are growing. And so are questions about its impacts. And nationally, companies are using the promise of rare earth metals and the clean energy transition as an excuse to fast track permitting for mining projects like this. That's all the time we have for now. I'd like to thank my guest, Lois Parshley, freelance journalist. She reported this story in collaboration with Grist and Alaska Public Media.